Before we jump into the episode, I have to tell you about the newly renovated Sub-Zero Wolf and Cove showroom in Scottsdale. They've partnered with over 16 local designers and cabinet companies, of which I know most of them. I can say that this really helps give the immersive experience for anybody wanting to visualize their future kitchen. It's a place to start, experience, and bring your vision to life. Product experts assist you throughout the entire project, view an array of options, and see them in full-size kitchen vignettes. Turn knobs, open drawers, ignite flames, determine the best fit for you. Chef-led demonstrations provide the opportunity to ask questions of the experts that use them every day. Schedule your appointment at subzero-wolf.com backslash Scottsdale, or you can call 480-921-0900. There are 12,000 pilots at the company I work with. And I can get in the cockpit of a Boeing 777 aircraft, and if the other person's sitting next to me, I don't have to ask them, are they qualified? How is their day? I know exactly what they're doing. I know that in a normal, an abnormal, or an emergency situation, we are going to know what to do. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. Today we have Steve Rosenberg with us, and Steve is entrepreneur, podcaster, business coach, public speaker, you name it, he's done it. So Steve, thank you for making time today to come on. Hey, thanks for having me, Brad. Look forward to talking with you. Yeah, same. And I love that backdrop. I mean, you have this great, you know, setting right behind you. So this is perfect for yeah. those watching visually. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to, you got to, you know, you got to step up when you're uh, trying to be the best you can be, right? Well, what's interesting about your story. So, you know, I did quite a bit of research, you know, before having you on. And what's amazing, I mean, you come from the airline industry, right? September 11th changed kind of your whole career trajectory. And now you've really, change that whole career and what you've done today. So maybe we start there. You know, I'm not typically a guy that comes in to say, tell me about your history. I've never been that way. But for the context of those listening and just the valuable information you're going to provide, I think there's some context there for the listener. So speak about that career change, you know, after 9-11. Yeah, and and just to be uh, just to be clear, I still am an airline pilot. Right. So the, everything right. I do, I still fly. Uh, yeah. for airline. Somehow but, you have more time in the day than the rest of us. Is I, I, I like <laughs> I like Ed Milet's strategy of bending time. So I kind of uh, I adhere to that model, I guess. Um, <clears throat> what what I do, what what happened to me, you know, and this is uh, the transformation for a lot of people that go from a career or nine to five to entrepreneurship, and I kind of fell into that without wanting to, I never really thought I would ever do anything except be an airline pilot. I got hired 25 years old, best job in the world. I was the second youngest person hired at this airline. I had the dream life. I had the dream job. Three years later, 9-11 hits. That dream job basically evaporated two days after 9-11 when I got delivered a furlough notice and was told, hey, thanks for playing, but you're about to be on the street with 50,000 other pilots, so good luck. And you know, all of a sudden this realization of like, holy shit, like this is not what, what am I going to do? I, when you're so focused in a field, in a, in a specific industry of being an airline pilot, I couldn't even drive a truck. Like I didn't know how to do anything. And I'm like, now I got to go home and tell my wife and you know, that I don't know if we can even afford the house that we're buying. I, I don't know. Um, and it's a very, very vulnerable place. And many, I'm sure entrepreneurs, you know, you, you, you know, you think you're going to get the gold watch and it's nothing. And so I just started looking at what else could I do? I was just, I, I, it was because I had to, it wasn't cause I wanted to. Uh, and, and I like to be clear about that. It wasn't my dream of, Hey, I want to be an entrepreneur. And no, that was none of that. I just wanted to be a pilot, but circumstances changed and I had to step into that void and take action. 
And, you know, nowadays it's acronyms and all the stuff on social media. You know, back then I didn't know what to do. So I started buying real estate and I went to the, the library because they didn't have YouTube or anything as big. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, it's a big building with books and I had to get a library card and I had a, I booked out a, a book a week and I just read everything that I could on real estate and wealth. And I just started kind of, you know, doing that. And uh, luckily for me, I say luckily about 80% of what I did, I got ripped off. I got lied to, I got cheated. I mean, I, I just, I mean, I just kept getting thrown to the floor, but I kept getting back up, not because I wanted to, but because I didn't have a choice. And slowly I started losing less. I started getting taken advantage of less. And I started understanding things and you know, I'm, I'm a pilot. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not the dumbest. I started figuring out systems and models and, and tracking trends. And I just kind of kept running with that. And that's what led me to building a company, a property management company. Um, and, and we can go into that, but I took that, scaled it. We're the fastest growing company in Texas at the time, uh, ended up selling to venture capital. And the whole time I did that, I was an airline pilot. So I was, you know, skimming the bottom and just kind of doing my thing and minding my business on the weekends at nighttime, built a several multi-million dollar company, uh, and then exited and sold. So I, I want to break this down a little bit and we'll get into the property management sure. and really, you know, cause this has really set the tone for your career path and how you consult businesses such as myself, Steve, yeah. but going back to the airline sign, it's funny cause you know, I've, I've said on this podcast, those listening, know I've said this many times that entrepreneurs are either born entrepreneurs or they're forced into it. Right. I was probably similar to you. I'm forced into entrepreneurship. You were too, you know, change of change of life, right. Happened for me 11 years ago. And here you are, you find yourself trying to figure this out. What's interesting is you mentioned that you, you go into real estate. Why real estate? And and going to that point, you mentioned that, yeah, this was really tough. You know, you had people ripping you off, lying to you. What are some of the things that maybe they took advantage of you being a young novice guy in the real estate world, you know, coming from the airline industry? Yeah. And, and you know, what I realized is when, when you're in an, and I hate to say it this way, but when you're in an airline pilot career, you're, it's kind of a distinguished career, right? You're, right. you know, you've got the lives of hundreds of people and, and you're, you know, you've gone through years and years of training and you're with, you're among peers that are equals. And I just, I didn't know any different. I started learning all these terms and acronyms of, you know, cash on cash and ROI. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> these guys must be smart. So I'm listening and guys are taking me down this path. Well, they were just taking me down this path because they wanted me to either buy one of their crappy properties or, you know, get me into a deal that I wouldn't get my money back out of. And, you know, shame on me, right? I take responsibility for it. I, shame on me for allowing that to happen. I don't blame anybody except myself. Um, but I realized not everybody has the same ethical standards that I w went in with these, you know, I'll say, you know, rose colored glasses thinking that everybody was like the airline industry. Everyone was ethical and look, don't get me wrong. There's, there's bad apples in every industry, every bunch, but it was just the little things, you know, people would, you know, I, I'd go to buy a house and they would tell me it was worth this and it was really worth that and didn't need anything ready. One of the things I did though, is I, I got a mentor early on. And I, and I learned how to do a, a type of creative real estate transaction called a, a, a double escrow close. And it's um, basically, you're, you're, you're basically flipping a property without ever owning it for a quick conversation. Um, but I paid the guy $10,000 and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to do everything this guy says. So he says, if you do everything you tell me that I tell you to do, it'll work. I'm like, well, I'm thinking to myself, well, why wouldn't I, right? I just gave you 10 grand. 
30 days later, I'm sitting at a title company doing this double close. And I'm like thinking to myself, I have no freaking clue what I'm doing. I got the guy on the phone with me and I'm like, they're asking me this. And I would literally have <laughs> him. I'm like, they want to talk to you. Next thing you know, I go walking out of the title company with a check for 20 grand. And I'm like, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> but, but it, like, no one arrested me. I just made 20 grand. Uh, this, and I, I remember calling him after. I'm like, dude, I cannot believe that this worked. He's like, yeah, it works. I go, you must make people millionaires all the time. He goes, Steve, you're one of the few that have ever done a deal. And at first I thought, oh man, this is another guy that was going to take advantage of me. But then I thought, why? Why, why was that a few? He goes, because you listened to me. He goes, and I'm thinking, why would I not listen to you? Because I just paid you. He goes, man, he goes, the best people I like are people like you. He goes, you don't know anything and you do what I tell you. And there's, there's some blind trust but you just take action. He's like, you are one of the fastest action taking people. And that, that has stayed with me uh, today to date. But what I realize is, you know, there's a lot of great information out there and there's bad information. The problem is, is we talk ourselves into and out of things all the time as business owners, as entrepreneurs, as real estate investors. And we, we outsmart ourselves and, and we tell ourselves why things won't work and we decide not to do them. I had no idea. Like I still probably could barely tell you what a double close was, but I've done hundreds of them, but that's not my job is to describe it. My job is to do transactions and make money as an entrepreneur. And that, and I did exactly what the guy said. And it was a very valuable lesson to me at that moment. Well, it's interesting, Steve. And you mentioned, I, I think the common thread is anyone, you, you, I speak about this a lot that it's like you chase experience, not money, right? Good leadership. If you could have good ownership, good leadership, a great mentor in your life, right? They're going to help you get through this. What, what do you attribute to that? Because as you mentioned, you kind of weaved around. There were some bad apples you're influenced by, especially in the real estate world. A lot of us, you know, I have, I've dabbled. I have a lot of real estate connections. So I know there's some great people and there's some not so great. And that's just part of the industry. You know, what do you attribute to finding a good mentor, and then again, how does that catapult, you know, to you where you are now? Because as you mentioned, look, understanding cap rates and all these different things with the con commercial world is totally different. Making sure it's a good investment. There's, you know, what does ROI really mean? Is this, you know, a, a spot in town where we can actually get some lease rates up and sell to maybe a national REIT? I mean, there's a lot of things that go into, you know, commercial real estate. So what do you attribute being able to at least vet this mentor and say, okay, this guy I believe in and he's going to lead me in the right direction? Well, I think... At first, the, the first challenge most people have is they let ego and pride get in the way of, of getting what they want, of having what they want, because they think they're smarter than they are. They think they deserve more than they really get. And they, they, they feel that something's deserved to them. And I don't think anybody deserves anything personally. I mean, I coach thousands of people all over the country and I tell people all the time, you don't deserve anything. Right. You, you get what's in front of you. And I mean, look, everybody has a bad story. Everybody has a crash. Everybody has an issue. Right. And my my story is bad. Other people have worse. Right. I could, you know, have some sort of disease. I don't. But if I, I, that would be a worse story. And so what I realized is you've got to let go of the ego and the pride. I am a big believer on investing in people to help me get to where I want to go. So I've had coaches and mentors and I've spent well almost into seven figures of being coached and mentored over the last 20 years, but it's made me much more than that. And a lot of everything that I've learned, it's not being a better tactician or a better um, uh, technician. It's about how I think. It's about thinking differently. And so the biggest challenge with most people that are trying to get to the next level, and you'd mentioned the real estate commercial and the cap rates. All of those things, whether you have one property or you have 500 properties, you are a business 
And if you are a business owner, you are a business. And the challenge is, is most people don't know the definition of what a business is. They couldn't even tell me what their definition is of being a business owner is, number one, which I was taught early on. And they can't give me their final destination of their business, meaning the date that their business is a saleable asset. So if I, I can relate it to flying, right? If I'm a pilot and I went and you were on my airplane and I said, hey, Brad, today I think we're either going to go to Hawaii. We may go up to Alaska, maybe Cancun or, or Rio. We're going to see how much fuel we have and we're going to give it a go. I've never done it before, but I think I, I got a good feeling on this. <laughs> you probably wouldn't be in that plane very long. You'd be like, I'm freaking getting off this thing. But yet how many business owners start a business, they don't know where they're going, they have no structure, they have no flight plan, we'll call it, and they don't have a destination of where the business is going. So when I was taught to be a business owner, one of my mentors, one of many, um, he taught me, and again, this is his definition as I learned it, is the definition of a business is a commercial, profitable enterprise that runs without you and it has a sale date. So if we break down that sentence, a commercial profitable enterprise, very simply, is a business that makes money, right? It's gotta have marketing, marketing makes the phone ring, sales answers the phone and converts them to clients. A commercial profitable business that runs without you. The part that runs without you is a business that's based on systems, procedures, and structure, which is where I come in and I coach people on how to build their businesses really the way airlines run. Because if you look at the way airlines run, there's no better systemization in the world that runs 24 seven, millions of people all over the globe every single, every single second of the day. So commercial profitable business that runs without you and has a sale date. The reason it has to have a sale date is not because you have to sell the business, but it's because unless it becomes a saleable asset, it's a job. And if you can't leave that job for three days or three weeks or three months, you have one of the lowest paying jobs and probably the, the less rewarding jobs you'd ever have because nobody wants it. The more valuable you are in your business, the less valuable it is to anyone else. And so again, I go back to the ego and pride, right? Ego and pride causes us to say, ah, it's my business. It's my DNA. It has to live through me. Well, all you've just done is you've taught anyone that works for you or works with you that you are the bottleneck. And so I, I just, uh, it's kind of a long roundabout story, but I've learned that I don't need to be the smartest person in the room. Businesses are made up of leverage of team members, people, entrepreneurs. It's not a single person. One person doesn't play a whole football team, right? They have teams. I've never met a successful entrepreneur say, I did it all on my own. I never had help. I never used marketing, sales. It was all me. That person doesn't exist because that's not how business is won. And so the reason so many people fail is they think they need to be that person and they don't understand the definition of what a business is. And that, that's just my opinion. I could, you could say, Steve, you're full of shit, you're way off, but that's just how I read it. You know, it's interesting, Steve. I think I took about 10 notes because there's about 10 talking points <laughs> from that little recap you just gave. But there's a couple things, you know, when we were speaking about just, you know, uh, something you made a point of, you said, you know, people feel that they deserve more than they get, right? And that that's really part of it, right? Chase the experience, not money, which you mentioned that, you know, and you mentioned building your network. I want to come back to that, just how you invest in people, whether they're mentors above you or, you know, maybe down the road, they're employees and part of your database, which you're leading to, because essentially to build uh, an enterprise as you defined it, right? This is a commercial profitable enterprise. 
you know, that runs without you and has a sell date. And having that perspective of mind, as you said, you know, the more valuable you are on the company, less valuable it is. But as we get to that, how did that come into play with you now at the property management company? Because what's very similar to running property management com- companies, it's a fee business, right? There's a certain amount of fee you can charge. Yep. It, it, it Volume plays a role in that. It's very common to maybe a contractor, to a designer, to an architect. Absolutely. It's a fee business. And and so to understand the scale of that and the the value, you mentioned that you, you, you're working with a venture capitalist. Well, that doesn't happen to many people in the property management sector. You know, speak to that growth to coming in and just understand that vision. Yeah. So one of the things that we first did when we first uh, started our company, and we started our company out of, again, it was a need to manage our own properties because we, we got to a point, you know, real estate is very interesting where just when you think you're smart enough and you've done everything right and you're king of the castle, it will come back like a wrecking ball and it will clean your clock if you've done anything wrong. It doesn't discriminate, right? And we're probably going to see some some people getting, you know, the, the, the souls of entrepreneurs are going to be littered on the highway probably in the next six to 18 months, I say, of people that bought wrong properties with the wrong business model. So what we did is we were we were victim of that. We I shouldn't say victim. We put ourselves in a bad position by purchasing bad properties for our business model. And so nobody wanted to manage them. So out of self-preservation, we started managing them ourselves. We turned it into a business. We we took out the emotions and we said, "Okay, we're going to manage these properties like a business." We started doing that. Our property stabilized. We had like about 40, 45 properties at the time all over Houston, Texas. And once we had people approach us and say, hey, could you manage our properties? And we're like, F, no, we do not want your problems, man. We barely figured out ours. We, that's the last thing we want. But then we thought, you know what? Maybe there's a business here. Maybe there's something here that, that would get us to that area. So we went to a business coach and we said, look, here's what we've done. Here's where we're at. And this is where I think we could take this. So he says, well, let me look at everything, come back next week, and I'll talk to you guys. So we're like, okay. And we think this guy's going to give us this magic word, like this pill that's going to just get us across the goal line, you know, of, you know, we're going to high five walking out of there, and we've got this recipe now. And he says, well, here's the thing, guys. There's definitely a market. There is an opportunity, and yes, you can scale this. You two are not the smartest people on the planet, and you will be bankrupt in six months because you have no (laughs) idea how to run a business. So we hire him on the spot. Now we have a business coach. Um, but we stayed with that guy for seven years. And we stayed in every single week. We went into his office. And every single week, we got our ass handed to us on Business Lesson 101. And we kept learning to be better business people. And so the differentiation of us compared to anyone else in the industry, the reason why we started growing so fast and we did this by bootstrapping it. We didn't have any infusion of cash. We did it all on our own. The reason we did this is we looked at ourselves as business owners, not as property managers. So everything to us was leverage and team. And we understood right person, right seat. We got very, very good at personality profiling, disc profiling. And we, we did something that now it's a bit more common. Back when we started doing this, it was not as common. But we started doing a lot of outsourcing with virtual assistants. And we went to Mexico and we outsourced to Mexico. 60% of our company ended up being in Mexico as virtual assistants. And we took our payroll, and as you can imagine, people watching or listening, uh, we were at 59% of revenue was our payroll because we're just a service industry. We're not selling widgets, we're selling service. We got it down to 31%. Well, you can imagine when you're, when you're running some big numbers, that's all profit. 
and we had more staff members and better service because we did so good in Mexico. We got so good, we actually created a corporation to place them for other people in Mexico because people were like, how are you guys doing this? How are you growing so fast? Because as you know, when sales is doing good, operations start sucking. When operations are doing good, that means sales isn't feeding them the business. We were running as fast as we could. Um, very much my business partner was the integrator. I was the visionary. I was speaking all over the world. I was touring Australia as a speaker. I was going all over the United States speaking about how we built our business based on systems and procedures the way airlines run. So that that was the caveat. And then we started putting like, you know, for example, when you go to the airport, you don't see the the, the guy fueling the planes not serving you drinks, right? The, the, the ramper is not flying the plane. Everybody has a position and that position is very detailed and that there's metrics defining that position. And that's how we built our business. And every time we needed to grow, we looked at our organization chart and we said, okay, what's the next position? What are the supporting staff? Let's get them interviewed. Let's get them trained. Let's get them hired. And you know how it is. Most people hire as a reaction, right? They're like, holy shit, I got to hire someone tomorrow. You're breathing, breathe on this mirror. You're in the position. And then six months later, you're like, this person sucks. I don't know what to do. Um, and so we've learned how to, one of the other challenges businesses have is they don't pre-plan. We knew that about 120 days out from actually needing that person, so four months, we needed to start interviewing when it didn't even seem like we needed another staff member because we wanted to do it right. You know, we wanted to break the cycle of this chaos reactive mode. Um, so the business coach taught us all this. And so that's why when we went to sell our company, when venture capital approached us, they were like, we've never seen a company run this way. And we said, well, I'm an airline pilot. He's an IT guy. We run it on checklist procedures, processes. You know, this is how we, same way an airline runs. And they're like, wow, we've never heard that. And then they were like, tell us about Mexico. So we showed them Mexico, showed them all, we had thousands of KPI metrics coming back and forth. They were like, we've never seen this before. And that, that was one of the reasons we were so uh, ripe to be purchased, I guess, is because of our systemization of our company which was because we were coached. So being coached to me, you know, made me a millionaire. Well, put it that way. So when does that light click? I mean, you mentioned that running a business, right? Understanding, as you mentioned, you know, the metrics and get into the org chart, which we can break down. But essentially where that clicks to understand that, hey, I'm a business owner. I'm not a property management company or I'm a business owner. I'm not just a contractor. When did that click, you know, at, at your time consulting with your business coach and then, you know, speak to just how that catapulted, you know, the, the career of the business? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say it ever clicks. I think it evolves. Because, you know, when you start, when you look at the organization chart, and it's just me and my business partner, and we're filling up the whole organization chart of just us, we're like, okay, this is just you and I. This seems insurmountable to ever be anything other than you and I. And you start evolving. And it's like, okay, first thing we're going to start moving off of our plate is things that we either suck at doing or we don't like doing. Those are the, you know, like, I'm not an accounting guy. Okay, I, I am good at sales, I'm good at closing, I'm good at marketing, but that's not, my, that's not my specialty. So one of the first things we hired was a marketing person um, because if your phone's not ringing, you're going out of business, you just don't realize it yet. So we were very, very big in understanding marketing, understanding our target, and it's just an evolution. Like, okay, that's off of my plate. What do I need to have him accountable for in KPI metrics? You know, client acquisition costs, lead acquisition costs, strategy. All these things, I need to make sure that these are dialed in so that when he's giving my numbers, I understand what I'm doing. One of the biggest things for me, one of the biggest challenges I'll, I'll tell you, I'll share with you is when my business partner says, hey, we're going to hire a salesperson. And I'm like, but that's what I do. 
He's like, yeah, Steve. He's like, you don't have time to do that. You're building the business. I'm like, yeah, but no one can sell as good as me, man. I'm like, dude, I'm the, I'm, I'm closing, you know, <laughs> and I'm even closing part-time cause I'm flying. He's like, that's the point. He's like, you're flying and you're building the company and you're closing. And yes, you're a good closer, but it's not your hundred percent attention. Cause I need you doing this other shit over here and building strategies and creating relationships with very big names. And so I had to step my ego aside and go, okay, well you can hire someone, but it's not going to be as good as me. Well, we hire a girl and she smoked me the first year because that was her <laughs> only focus. And so again, you've got to be okay with realizing you're not going to be good at the, the tactician things if you want to build a business. And, and so I don't know that it was ever a, 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 a flip of a switch moment that all of a sudden was like, Hey, I'm this entrepreneur. Now, you know, we would, we would see people at conventions and events and all of a sudden our names started getting out there. Like, are you those two guys from Texas? And I'm like, well, we're two guys from Texas. I don't know if we're those two guys. And they're like, <laughs> what's the name of your company? And we, we tell them and they're like, yeah, we heard about you. And we we're like, really? And then it just kept going and kept going. But the difference was, is we looked at it as business owners, not tacticians of property managers. And I think that's a huge differentiation of people. I think people like to identify as I, I own the business. I'm in the guts. I'm involved in it. And there's a sense of pride in that. And I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But call it what it is. It's not a business. It's a job. Because as soon as you leave, that business stops running and you start making money. And that's how it works. So I'm okay with you doing that. But make sure you call it what it really is, which is a job, not a business. Well, I always feel that like, I, and, and to be truthful here, I've had clients that are pilots. I One of my early mentors, young in my career, was a pilot. And he was always big on saying, Brad, there's a checklist, right? A lot, anyone that's flown, I haven't flown personally, but I understand you go in, there's a checklist you're going through before you take off, right? That's the life safety of just you being in the cockpit as well as the passengers, if you have any. And he he also on the side, he did some cabinetry, so he always had this checklist. And I remember him telling me, he said, Brad, like, is today the day I cut off my finger? And he would say, like, and, you know, he his, his analogy was that when I go work in my shop, I have this checklist I go through make sure everything's right so that I don't lose a limb as I'm working, you know, doing my cabinetry. And essentially that, he applied that to every aspect of his business. He owned a big pool company as well. It, it's the similarities. Do you feel like gave you a unique advantage being a pilot coming into this industry where, for lack of a better word, we lack systems. We lack organization in this fee-driven business of property management and construction and design. And by having that and having this checklist, well, now that puts you light years ahead, you know, as you start building each aspect of the company. Yeah, and it, I can give if, if it's okay, I'll give you an analogy if you don't mind of 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 how how succinct airlines are. So I fly a Boeing triple seven, which is a it holds about three hundred and eighty people, um, and gross takeoff weight on this aircraft is about seven hundred and seventy five thousand pounds. So it's a it, it basically when you see this thing coming up to the gate and you're sitting there ready to board, it's almost like an apartment complex with wings, right? So the next time you're at an airport, and most people have probably flown. And, and I, I use this analogy with a lot of people. I, I coach a lot of people in the roofing industry and the trades, and, and I give them this analogy so that they can understand how succinct airlines run. So this aircraft comes up to the gate, right? And next thing you know, you see a flurry of stuff happening. But what we see is what's called the dance. And the dance is, and just imagine this, you've got all of their bags getting offloaded and being dispersed everywhere in the world or where they need to go right? You've got 380 people exiting the aircraft. You've got the cleaners cleaning the airplane and catering is restocking this aircraft. You've got flight attendants doing their safety checks. 
maintenance is walking around the airplane. They're checking the engines, the tires. They're checking the air airframe. Pilots, we're up front. We're checking the weather, the destination. We're checking all the flight computers, all safety of flight items. The fueler, he hooks these huge valves up to this plane. It holds 230,000 pounds of fuel. It takes an hour to fuel this plane. Now, passengers are getting back on the aircraft, 380 of them. All of their bags and cargo are getting reloaded. And within one hour, this plane is buttoned up and pushed back, and not one of us has had to talk to anyone else to do our job. Now, if the fueler doesn't do his job and there's no way for us to cross-check what he's doing, it doesn't matter how good of a pilot I am. We're not going to make the destination. And the same goes in business. If you have someone on your team that you can't cross-check, you don't have to talk to them. But if you can't cross-check their metrics of whether or not they put enough fuel in your plane, it doesn't matter how good your marketing team is. Everybody has to work together as a team. Now, I, I, I use this analogy, and I, I do this on stages and stuff when I speak. You know, there are 12,000 pilots at the company I work with. And I can get in the cockpit of a Boeing 777 aircraft, and if the other person's sitting next to me, I don't have to ask them, are they qualified? How is their day? I know exactly what they're doing. I know that in a normal, an abnormal, or an emergency situation, we are going to know what to do. We're not even going to question. You get on that airplane, you taxi out, you take off, you look out the window and you see a ball of flame on the edge of the wing, meaning the engine's on fire. You're not sitting there going, I wonder if these guys know what to do here. You're assuming we know. Like You, you put your life in my hands and you don't even know me. You've never met me, but you trust me with your life. And if you think about that, when you own a business, and many people here, tradespeople or any, any business, doesn't matter actually, you interview someone, you hire them, you train them. As soon as they start messing up, you jump in and you start nudging, helping them. And if it gets really bad, you may push them out of the way and do their job for them because it's your business. But I've never had anybody pull me out of the cockpit and be like, hey, Steve, I got this today. It seems like you're, <laughs> you're hitting a little bumpy, so we're going to go ahead and take care of this. So why is it that you trust me, someone you've never met, with your life, but you don't trust the person that you interviewed, hired, and trained with your business? It's because of our systems. Our systems are so good that they catch our mistakes. As a matter of fact, there are two to three fatal errors made on every flight that the system catches. I don't want to scare anyone, but those are the numbers. So when you think about that, why? what if I could jump in someone's business and show them how the airlines run it's not rocket science. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, far be it. But I've been trained for the last 30 years from Boeing and my airline to know exactly how to make this work. And I just apply it into the business model. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty, you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and 
large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are of Build a Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build a Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. So essentially, I mean, and, and the analogy you gave was perfect, right? As you're thinking, anyone that's flown can imagine coming out seven, you know, triple seven airplane, the amount of people and cargo cleaning and then fueling. I mean, there's just so many components that are happening, right? All these little pieces. But what's interesting, you talked about the cross check and, you know, there's not crossover between anyone, but there's still ways to track the metrics. And essentially, you have defined roles. Everyone has a defined role. They understand that role. They've been trained in that role. And essentially, that's the biggest thing that we lack as business owners is that we don't have clear defined roles for our people. We don't have ways that they can track their metrics, you know, and their performance. We don't have ways to track them without crossover, as you're mentioning, where, you know, hey, Steve, you're not performing to my expectations, so I'm just going to step in and overrun you. Like, and, and, and really speak to how you set that up, you, you know, understanding this, coming into property management – it's, it's not easy to do that, to have defined roles. And here you are now working internationally with a company in Mexico that you're you know, supporting this enterprise. You know, speak to just that organization defined role aspect. Yeah, so if you look at every business, there's anywhere between eight to 11 systems in most any business. In the property management industry, we had 19. So the question is, is who defines those businesses of, okay, what happens next? What happens next? That's, that's always the question. What happens next? Where does it go? Who is it handed off to? What does that handoff look like? How many days? How many hours? Anytime that there's a handoff between me to you, that's a chance of something happening and not being handed off. So there needs to be a temperature check valve, meaning a KPI, key performance indicator, at that handoff spot. So every time that there's a handoff, there needs to be a checkpoint, unless it's automated by software technology. But if it's a physical, it's got to be handed off. So you had mentioned the org chart earlier. We talked about this. I think every company needs to have two org charts, okay? They have one org chart is a snapshot of today. And this is when I coach people, this is what I have them do. I want to see, I need to see a snapshot of what your business looks like. And, you know, you can imagine many answer is, what's an org chart, first of all? <laughs> How do I take a picture of it? So I explain to them what it is, you know, and we, we, we kind of build it. 
And then we need a snapshot of what the org chart looks like the day the business is a saleable asset. Because that now becomes our roadmap. It's like getting in your car. I'm starting off at my house and I'm going to Disneyland. Okay, well, what's the? where am I going? Disneyland is off the 405 freeway, Disneyland Drive. I am at LAX airport. I know where I'm starting. I know where I'm going. Okay, the strategy of how to get there is the way we're going to do this. And that's how we're going to build the business. So now at least we know where we are going. Because if not, as you know, many people hire and they grow reactionary. Hey, Steve, I think I'm going to go north on the 405 for a little bit. And my first question is, is, does this get you to your goal? Does this get you to Disneyland? If the answer is no or I don't know, you're not doing it because that's stupid. Why would you go north when you need to go south? That's where the destination is of the business that we agreed on. Now, in the org chart, there's, there's several challenges that people make. I, I, I'd say mistakes. The, the first mistake people make is, number one, they put names. You never put a name in an org chart. It's the role. Because when you put a name in an org chart, you're humanizing the role. And when you humanize the role, you're like, oh, you know what? Brad doesn't really get along with Kathy because they used to date. So they don't talk to each other. So Brad talks to this other person. And Larry drinks all weekend long. So he's hung over on Monday. So we don't give him any work Monday morning because he's kind of an ass. So we, we work around that. Well, all of a sudden now you're, you're, you're like Gumby, right? And all of a sudden now you hire someone else and he's like, why don't I do something Monday morning? Well, the last guy didn't do that. So, so you got to stop that right there. It's, it's the role is the role. So in the organization chart, there needs to be four items in every org chart. Number one is you need to have the job description. What does this job do? Very simple. Next, you need to have the roles and duties. What is this person responsible for? So if you say, if I said, hey, Brad, you really suck at your job, he's going to go, well, that's not in my job description or my job roles and duties that I was supposed to clean the floor. Yeah, but it's assumed. No, it's not. It's not in my job role. So that's it. So job description, roles and duties, and the next are KPIs, key performance indicators. So we talked about this earlier. So key performance indicators, If uh, let me give an example. I could go anywhere in the world, and I've been to every continent except Antarctica. So I can I can use this analogy with with you know actually doing this. I can go into any arena or stadium, and I can look at a scoreboard without even knowing what sport is being played, and I could tell you who's winning. I could tell you who's losing. I could tell you how much time is left in the game or the match, and I could tell you maybe who's fouled out and some other information without even knowing the sport that's being played. So my first question to people is, could I look at your business without ever talking to you and look at your scorecard and know how your business is being run? Normally the answer is no, right? Well, I get that. But that's what you want to build it to. You want to build it at each of those scorecards. Now, at the upper level, the leadership level, you're probably looking at somewhere between five to maybe seven key performance indicators. But that is a derivative of every position in their company because every role needs to have a KPI that gets kicked up and to the next level and management and so on and so forth. So every department, every role, how do I, how do I know Brad's doing his job? His KPI show it. He's doing his job. He's doing everything. Brad may be an ass, but he's doing his job. So I can't fire him. I can't step in his way. Cause Brad's going to go, wait a second. I'm doing everything. My job description, my job role and my metrics tell me that I need to do. The last thing you need to have is the disc profile. The disc profile or whatever personality profile you want to use 
you know, D is a D-I-S-C, and these are all different personality roles. DISC is a pretty common one that I learned and used to teach. Um, but every role in your company has an associated DISC profile position attached to it. So if I am looking for someone who's going to be an accountant, but someone has the disposition of a salesperson, he's not going to be a good, or she is not going to be a good fit for that role. So before we would ever interview someone, we always did a DISC profile and we would interview based on their DISC because who's going to say on a resume that they suck at something? A resume is a glorified lie, right? I mean, so, so everybody talks to like, wow, their resume was so good. I'm shocked. It's like, yeah, but they're not the right personality for that. So I'm just a big believer in going off of DISC profile and learning everything off of DISC for me. And, that, and again, that's just how, how we did it. And we are very successful at that. Um, the way we are doing the um, uh, the hiring. And so if you have those four things, you're going to mitigate the chances of having a disaster, we'll say. You can't eliminate them, as we know. But you're going to mitigate them as much as possible. I love that you broke it down this way. I mean, just, you know, I think it, as people grow in their business, right, they're going to understand the organizational chart. Maybe some of them have job descriptions, right, ideally. Um, you know, the KPI is something that I can tell you that that's something I have to focus more on. I think most companies would because, you know, the basis of this conversation has shown that. But I look back early in my career and it's like, man, if I had Steve on seven years ago, my business would be way different, right? Because I think early on in my career is very similar where, and, and I remember specifically, I hired somebody, this is probably seven, eight years ago, they came in and it was, I've said this before, you kick them off the pier, you hope they don't drown and go figure it out, right? And and it just, it sets them up for failure. This was a talented person. And so turnover for companies is really hard. And, and as you look at this as, you know, in the beginning, most of us are entrepreneurs to some extent and you're wearing all these hats, but it doesn't matter if you're a one-person band. As you grow, you have to have these clear defined roles, as you mentioned, Steve, because now as you set, set this company up, as you mentioned, you know, you have the end in mind, you have your, your final organizational chart, which I don't have. And that's something I need to do after this interview now is by having that. Now I can now base, you know, my structure and company to that growth. And then I can say that since, and this is no credit to me, but hiring certain people in my organization that are big on systems and roles. Well, now as I brought people in, we do have systems and we have organization and we haven't had turnover and we have retention. And these are things that lead to company culture and all the other aspects of running the company. Yeah, you know, one of the things I think people need to to think about or realize, I would say, is that, you know, in order, having a successful business is delivering consistency to the client. And I think a lot of times we forget about that. It, it's, you know, a lot of times we as entrepreneurs become technicians in what we do. We're so excited about a gadget or something that we do. We forget it's really the result and the experience that the customer or client is going to get. They don't care that you have the best hammers in the world, right? Nobody cares about you having the nicest trucks. They care about what their bathroom's gonna look like when you're done remodeling it. And so I, the, the analogy I use, I, I like using analogies, is if we went to the restaurant together and we went to have a steak and I said, hey, I'll have the, I'll have the, uh, you know, the T-bone. And, uh, you know, do you guys, what do you think of the T-bone? Do you recommend it? And they go, well, here's what we do. First thing we're going to do is we're going to slit the throat of the cow. Then we're going to bleed it out. <laughs> then we're going to break its ribs. We're going to split it open. And then we're going to chop it up. And then, you know, then we're going to freeze it. Then we're going to cook it. And then they go through the process. And then we're going to bring it to you. And I'm going to be like, okay, that's not what I thought. <laughs> or are they going to say, hey, this this steak is going to melt in your mouth. It's going to be marbleized. You're going to be able to cut it with a spoon. It's going to be so juicy and delicious. You're giving me the results. 
don't, so many of us as entrepreneurs, we're so focused on explaining to everybody how we kill the cow. Nobody kills the cow. They just want a nice tasting steak. And so we forget that nobody cares about the inner workings of our businesses. We do because we have pride in that and that's good. But we forget, we, we stop it at the customer and we think you should be happy that I'm freaking giving you a steak because I just went through all this shit to get that steak to you. And the guy's going, dude, I just want a steak. Like you're forgetting the last piece of the puzzle. And that last piece is the results and the what experience that person is going to get from all your hard work. And a lot of times we forget that because we get so caught up in what we're doing. And sometimes when we own businesses, we get so wrapped around the axle, we get so into those rabbit holes, we forget why we even have a business and what it is we're selling and why we're selling it. So as you start hiring staff, and if you hire the right staff, it could, you know, hiring the wrong people could be very toxic to the company. And I, we talk about culture and stuff, but that's a bad, to me is, is hiring the wrong people and keeping them that's a bad leadership position. But if you don't think about the experience that you're giving the customer and the clientele, again, I think you're going out of business. You just don't realize it yet. It's interesting because, you know, the more entrepreneurs I speak with, you know, especially talented business coaches such as yourself, Steve, I mean, they always will speak to hiring the wrong people. It doesn't matter how talented they are. You put in the wrong one. It doesn't matter. Like it'll, it'll sour the company culture, but the customer mapping is interesting. You know, you brought up this consistency, right? To the client. And that, that's something that's, um, it's really hard to do in a fee and service industry The jobs are complex. Yeah. And, you know, for you, even the property management, every customer is different, their needs Absolutely. are different. And, and so trying to understand, you know, a clear way to set expectations with their clients and then create this system internally where we're creating the same consistency. It's the same experience for the customer. Cause as you mentioned with the good analogy about, you know, just a steak, you know, coming to your plate. The inner workings, we don't want to see how the sausage is made. Yeah, in construction, we're having surgery on your floor. But at the end of the day, we have to have consistency in our product and brand to deliver that optimum you know, value. That, and that's the reason the client hired us. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing we have to remember, the way businesses grow and scale is two ways. The, the, the cheapest ways is a repeat customer and a referral. <clears throat> and, you know, it's a matter of getting the cash register to ring over and over again by the same person because that brings down your client acquisition cost and it brings down your marketing cost and all those things. And a referral is, you know, is the highest conversion rate you'll ever have because it's coming from somebody that, that is a trusted warm body that's referring you. So we forget that we have to deliver that product to that person. And, you know, I am a big believer in, uh, this is kind of a marketing left turn here, but in, in understanding how to target market specific to your, to your ideal client. And, and the way you do that is you grade your past clients. And if you grade them A through D, and if I, I'm happy to explain it, but you've got to grade them to figure out where are you making your money? It's the 80-20 rule, right? But if, if you don't grade your clients, I grade them D, C, B, and A. And you know the D clients, we all have them. They're cheap. They take up our time. Every time the phone rings, you're like, fuck. <laughs> and everyone, everyone watching and listening has that one person that when they call, it's just going to be a grind. They're going to grind you. They're going to complain. And, you know, in the property management industry, people only call you for two reasons, to yell at you or fire you. That's the only, nobody ever calls you and says, hey, Steve, I haven't talked to you in two years. You're amazing. They don't do that. They call you with a problem. Yep. So those are the Ds. The Cs, they're either cheap. Or they take up a lot of your time, but it's normally not both. They pay the bills. It's not pleasant, but you'll deal with them because it, it, it kind of pushes the needle and it keeps the lights paid. 
the B clients, the Bs are actually your silent majority. Those are the majority of your clients. You just never hear from them. They pay their bills. They don't complain. They're nice. They're, you enjoy talking to them. It's just a pleasurable experience to work with them. The A's. The A's are just like the B's, except they refer people to you. And they're evangelical. They're your raving fans. So what I suggest to people, and this goes back to, you know, to, to the, your, um, your employees as well, is you take your A's and B's. And you've got to figure out what is their age bracket, what was their income bracket, what was their demographics, and there there is a grouping. What what was the common thread between the A's and the B's? Was it income? Was it industry? What was it that caused these two types to come to you? And more importantly, what problem did you solve for them? And you're going to find a common thread with them because now that is the marketing message of who you're going after. You don't want to market to the C's and D's. Give them to your competition. Spend all your time, all your money, all your investments in the A's and B's and get them to go. Because all of a sudden you're like, this is, this is the ones we want. But you have to go back. I recommend going back a year if possible. Look at all of your past clients, grade them, and go, okay, what's the common thread here? Because that's the marketing message that you do. Now, when you have the good clients coming in and you have the good employees, it's a recipe for success. When you have D customers and you have D employees because you've hired them reactionary, because that's what a lot of people do, they don't use a disc or they don't use a personality or they don't interview them correctly, they don't take the time to train them. That's another thing that's really bad with businesses is we're always in a rush. We never take the time to either train them or recurrently train them. They have bad success. So if you can do that with that customer target client base and with, again, with your employees, you'll have success. You know, I, I find it interesting that as airline pilots, professionals, doctors, we all have to be certified. And not only that, we have to go to some sort of recurrent training. As a pilot, I have to go to recurrent training every six to nine months, right? But as an entrepreneur, there's no certification or recurrent training. So you, you sit there, you, you sit there and ask yourself, okay, why is it that as a, I'm a professional, Professional athletes practice every single day for a game on Sunday. You're a professional entrepreneur, but you don't think you need to have any certifications, any practice. You don't need a coach, and you're going to figure this out on your own. When you put it in that perspective, you're like, the, the odds of your success, which as we know, 95% fail in the first five years, there's a reason for that. Because they don't take it as professionals. They don't treat them as professionals. And again, it's grading their customers. It's hiring and training their staff. And stepping back and looking at big picture and letting ego and pride go away. Well, what's interesting, as you bring up the mapping side, Steve, and this goes back to earlier in the conversation, you were speaking about growth, right? As you start to focus on your company, you need to hire a salesperson. You're like, why am I do that? I'm the best closer. I got the personality. I know this ideal client. But now you bring on, you know... The, the lady that, uh, I don't know her name, but you brought her on and she crushes it, right? This is her focus. She's doing amazing work. And, and essentially as an entrepreneur, someone that, you know, I've heard 60% as good as you, well, you should delegate that off. But whatever the margin is, the reality is the more you can focus on your business. But as you delegate this, there still is a comfort level as you're delegating sales. And I'm sure this is big for you. There's one aspect to say, hey, I'm a great cl closer. I'm a great communicator. This is what I do. But, you know, who I'm handing this off to not only has to be that and focus on that, but they also have to understand the ideal client. So that's the importance of mapping so that they know who the ideal client is for the company. So that's who they're focused on as well. 
Very much. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it, and again, it's tough, right? There's no manual. Nobody says, hey, Brad, here's your entrepreneur handbook, and here's what you need to do to succeed in your industry at this time of year in your market. Th that doesn't exist. And that's the challenge that we all have as entrepreneurs is we're kind of on an island, right? I mean, I, I look, I know it. I see it. I've only learned from people that have done it prior to me and have had success, and I want to emulate those people. So I look to them. I, you know, I have them teach me. How do they teach me? They coach me. How do I get them to coach me? I remunerate them. I pay them for coaching because I think that that's, you know, what you do, and that's how they get compensated, and that's how I'm getting into their brain to learn how to solve my challenges that no one's ever going to, you know, number one, you're not going to figure it out on your own. I hate to tell people this, but you are. Look, if if YouTube and books did it all, everybody would be successful. But it hasn't. That hasn't moved the needle to people that failing in their business. So you've got to have that human action. And look, I don't. It, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be anyone. But really, set your ego aside to realize that you do have to ask for help. That's the best way to succeed: is stepping out of your ego and saying, you know what? I don't know how to do this. And I'm okay, someone telling me. And I, when I go places, I'm the number one student. I sit in the front row. I take tons of notes. I ask questions. I do everything I can to milk that person's brain as much as possible. It's interesting. And going back to this earlier in the conversation, I mean, you spent a little bit of time here on marketing, but you said if your phone's not ringing, you're dead, right? And I've always heard that you should be marketing your company even when you're the most busy. We see this now. Like, interest rates are changing. That's affecting the commercial market. That's affecting residential. Whether some of us have backlog, it's not affecting us today. You know, ideally, some of us have been working on that backlog one, two, three years ago, knowing that this time would come. And so speak to just, you know, understand that deal client, you know, that marketing strategy to them and that that must continue even outside of, hey, we're busy. I need another job. Like I need a hole in my head. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is marketing again, I, when I speak and coach people, monetization is, is the most important thing in your business. I don't care what anybody says. If, if your phone isn't ringing and you don't have people converting those people to clients and you're not recouping marketing costs, you're going out of business. I mean, that, that's just, that, that is math. And normally fixing money will fix the first short-term problems in your business. You've got enough problems, you throw enough money at a problem, you don't have a problem, right? If, you can, if money can fix it, it's no such thing as a problem, I always say. But you need the systems then to back up the growth, right? Because if you're growing at exponential growth, that could be just as bad and putting you out of business if it's not the right client, right? It's taking up too much staff time. You know, you're getting a lot of churn out the backside and you're losing them and you're paying for them, but then you're losing the money. So there's a lot of reasons why you could be losing revenue and losing the business. You could be growing yourself right out of business. But the problem is, is most people, they do this. They think, okay, I'm good. We're going to shut off the marketing spigot. It doesn't work that way, right? I mean, it's it's, it's got to be an, it's got to be constant. You may be able to dial it down a little bit, but you never ever shut off. That's one of the biggest mistakes I see entrepreneurs are like, yeah, we stopped marketing. I'm like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would you stop marketing? They're like, well, we have enough business. Yeah, but how long ago did you start this process to get the people you have now? It's it you don't just snap your fingers and get it. So, again, that's just my opinion. I'm you know, if you ask my ex business partner, he'll tell you operations was the thing that saved the day. You know, we just we all have our positions, and I think they're both valuable. But I think they have to be put into perspective. And most people, they do not take the time to understand marketing or sales. They're so focused on the gadget that they have or the widget, they don't think about how am I going to get people to notice this. And that's one of the reasons a lot of people fail, I believe. 
anyone speaking to you, Steve, for any minute, like I can get this just on this conversation, right? The passion you have for business and entrepreneurship and what you've done in your career now, right? Being that mentor to others that need it as, as you've had in your life. How do you emotionally and how did you do this in your business where you have so much passion and energy in your business, right? You don't want to let those reins go to understand that you have to fire yourself as a pilot and own the airline. This is something you speak about very often emotionally. How do you detach yourself from the business to now step back, let other people run it um, and still have that passion and energy behind the scenes? Well, you know, here's the thing as a that's a great question, by the way. Um, as you step into the role when you're starting a business <clears throat> and you're growing that business, you're stepping into a leader role and, and you're stepping out of the operator role and more of the leadership. And you start realizing that as a leader, you have different roles and things that you have to accomplish. You, you know, the leader is the one who inspires people. The leader is the one who gives everybody the vision of where they're going. They want people to believe in what they're building, right? People go to work for a purpose, not for a paycheck. Once their once their their monetary needs are met and their rent is paid and all the all their primal needs, now they want to believe in it. So you have to be that person that inspires them to want to come to work for you, right? You have to be the cheerleader of the group that makes them want to be that. So as as we were growing our business, I had to start learning how to be a leader. I don't think leaders are born. I think they're created, and they're created by educating yourself. They're created by learning that there is a job that I have to do. Many times, I call them leaders, many people think they're leading, but they're really managing. And they don't, again, they don't understand the definition of a leader versus a manager. A leader is the one who inspires everybody. They get everyone charged up. They're excited. They see the vision. They're a part of this. And they run up the hill and everybody runs behind them. The manager is behind everyone and says, if you don't get up that effing hill, you're fired. So you need to have both. The manager holds everyone accountable they track their metrics, they track their numbers. The leader's the one who's at the front of the ship inspiring everyone to row. The manager's the one whipping them if they don't actually row. And so I think it's one of those things we have to realize what is our position because as entrepreneurs, when I build a business and it's my baby, it's hard to let that go. So I'm like, okay, well, if that person's doing sales, again, I could have had that, you know, and this happens a lot of entrepreneurs, we go, well, what am I gonna do? Well, you know what? I'm going to look over her shoulder and make sure that she's doing this right and that right. And so we self-sabotage our own business to make it need us. And I go, see, I told you she couldn't do it. You need me. I've got to be the salesperson. We put on our hero cape. We push everybody out of the way. And we go, you know what? I'll take care of it. You know what? You guys need me. See, I can't be away for that long. And all you're doing is, is you're training your team. You're training your employees that basically you're going to solve all their problems. So they go, you know what? If I mess this up long enough, he'll fix it. I'll just wait. He's going to fix it anyway, so I'm just going to wait. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. So you have to realize that when you're becoming that leader, there's other responsibilities that you have to have. I was flown out to Australia, and I spoke uh, for a franchise to a lot of people that were not doing what they needed to do um, to certain franchisees. And um, I, I talked to the, the the owners, and I said, so what's going on? Like, what's, what's the deal? And it's, oh, people aren't doing this. People aren't doing that. And they're telling me all the things people are not doing. And I'm like, well, you told me everything they're not doing. What are you doing? And he's like, oh, my job is to this, this, this. I'm like, that's not your job. I'm like that. This, I said, you're the problem. You don't realize it. And, and, you know, I, and I'm a very direct person when I talk to people, I'm, I'm you don't have to like me, but you're going to respect what I do because I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to make you successful. And so I talked to them and this is why the CEO brought me out all the way from the U S to, to Australia. I'm like, if you don't, if you, you know, if you show up late 
guess what happens? People show up late. If you're rude to people, guess what happens? People are rude to people. If you're getting in people's business, guess what happens? The fish stinks from the head down. And I'm like, what makes you think that you should not be fired? If it was me, I would freaking fire you in a second. Now, when I say fire, you step out of that role and put someone else in that role, and you're no longer in charge of these people because you're not a good leader. Just because you own the business doesn't mean that you know how to lead people. And we think like, oh, I'm, I own the business. I started it, so it's my company. Do as I say. But you've never actually taken a class. It's like if I, if hey, I've been watching flying movies my whole life. Brad, you want to go fly with me tomorrow? We're going to give it a shot. You'd be like, no. But, like, but I've been doing this my whole life. I've been watching movies. I think I got this. It's different. So that, that's the challenge that we have is leadership is we don't understand what we should be doing. So we revert back in. We self-sabotage. And we make a mess of our own business not on purpose, but kind of subconsciously on purpose, I think. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing how you brought this around, especially the self-sabotage and stuff that I think a lot of us can, can relate to to some extent. And it's interesting to, to see business owners that maybe have, uh, I, I think all of us to some extent may have that, right? We Micromanagement, whatever you want to call it, we can't get up our own way. But I think what's very fulfilling, I'm sure you would agree, Steve, is for me was I see my team solves certain things, right? Complicate things in the past would have maybe come to my desk, but now they solve them I don't even know about. Then I find out later, I'm like, bam, like, there we go. We finally like hit that precipice. Like, there we are. And and, and that's where it's really fun as a business owner. And um, you've been so gracious. I know that you have a, a busy plate and, and a lot on there. So outside of, you know, the passion you have, Steve, co- coaching, mentoring, you know, the business leadership that I know anyone listening can reach out to you, you know, what do you do for fun? Go to the gym and ride Harleys. <laughs> <laughs> and then fly a little bit on the side. I don't know how you have time yeah, for all this. Fly a little bit on the side. Yeah, for people that follow me on social media, they see I'm always, I, I normally fly to, I do long haul. So I'm in Tokyo, Amsterdam, Frankfurt. I'll be in Buenos Aires. Yeah, so I, I hop around the world and I coach people when I'm in layover. So it's actually fun for me because when I'm in a new city, sometimes I have clients there and I'll meet up and we'll have dinner and drinks and stuff. So it's, I try to make the most of it, but I, I, I love, I love flying. Um, you know, I'm never gonna fly. I'm never gonna quit flying if I if I don't want to. I do what I want to do, not because I have to. Uh, and I enjoy it. I enjoy my life because I get to help people. I get to get people to see it. I don't need to do either. I'm fine. Sold a business. I'm doing okay. But I enjoy doing it. And I think that's a part of giving back. That you know, more people need to do more of that. Like you doing your show. I think it's great. You're educating the masses out there. And I think more of us need to learn how to do that. Well, Steve, I can't thank you enough for coming on. You've been beyond valuable. I know our listeners are going to get some amazing feedback from this episode. I know I have just myself. And uh, so for those listening, what's upcoming and exciting and where can our listeners find you, which is uh, super important for them to find you? Yeah, so the next event I have, I'll be doing a uh, two-day live event at uh, Bradley, uh, his headquarters in Las Vegas, Lightspeed VT, uh, February 14th, 15th, fall in love with business all over again. Uh, We'll be talking about how to build your business with systems and structures like an airline pilot. Uh, If anybody wants to know, they can go to my website, steverosenberg.com. So it's R-O-Z-E-N-B-E-R-G. And uh, they can see the details there. Follow me on social media. Uh, You know, I'm on all the the standard channels, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. And uh, yeah, I do these masterminds. I do coaching. Um, You know, if anybody wants to talk to me, I do answer all the messages that people send me. It, It really is me. Uh, and if you have a question, I, I, I feel that it's respectful that if someone takes the time to ask me something, that it should be me that answers it. So I, I take that very seriously. Um, and I do, you know, mid-level all the way up to very high-level coaching for people, all kinds of businesses and trades. And, you know, really right-size who they are and what they're doing to get them to the goal of, of what they're trying to do in life. 
Steve, I can't thank you enough. You've been absolutely amazing. Thanks for your passion. Really appreciate making time today. My pleasure. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate it, bud. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.